fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about how Christianity is necessary for Western civilization with my friend Vienna. Correct. True. <laughs> You're a liar. How are you? <laughs> the answer is the destruction of both. Like, you can't... They are inseparable. Oh, okay. I will... I am in agreement with that. Um, I'm okay. Um, been feeling very busy lately, and, um, there's a storm ongoing, and my ankle hurts. Um, I could feel it coming all day. Um, how are you? <laughs> I am, I'm good. I've just been tired. I, uh, you know, spent, uh, all day, uh, playing with the kids. That's about it. Pretty uh, pretty standard week, <laughs> but we I, I like, I was thinking uh, we weren't gonna have much to talk about. We might have a bit to talk about in this episode. We'll see how uh, long it goes. But uh, yeah, we get a lot of weirdly religious talk uh, in this week's episode, so we might as well just get right to it. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. On this week, we covered July 25th to July 29th. And on the 25th, he did what I expected him to do. And I I did say we would probably cover it this week. It's uh, Arthur Palowski, who was found in contempt of an injunction regarding COVID meetings. And what I mean by COVID meetings is during the COVID lockdowns, he was holding church services where people were not masked, etc., and holding gatherings and telling people to gather while a mask mandate was in effect, but not making sure people were wearing masks, etc. And... I said I was going to talk about it, but I really don't have that much to say. It, I've I've read the court release as to why the appeal court of Alberta decided to overrule the the other court <laughs> in uh, finding him in contempt. And the only like, it's going to sound really weird. It has to do with like the wording of the injunction itself and whether it like perfectly fit exactly with what they did. And I've, I've read it now two or three times and I still don't get what the judge was trying to say, but they were like, it had something to do with, it was like overly broad and therefore ambiguous and so therefore they couldn't it, that they since it was ambiguous they couldn't tell whether it actually applied to Arthur or not and so therefore since it's ambiguous all of the the contempt charges go away so basically what they tried to do with Tamarilich and talking to Tom Marazzo, where it was like oh your wording wasn't specific enough or like you know 
let's play around with definitions, except this time it seems to have worked a bit better. Is well, that... it, it actually, this is going to come up this week as well, briefly, but it worked for Tamara in a very similar way as well. So she mm. just recently got uh, released from uh, prison as well because uh, a, a further court said basically that, uh, well, when it said don't come into contact with these people, did it really mean like at an award ceremony? Like... <laughs> So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make of these rulings. Other than that, I feel like we, I feel like in Canada, especially in comparison to the United States, we don't have a good grasp on like to what extent certain like uh, like the appeals court of Alberta, like whether it's conservative or liberal, in the same way that like Americans perceive their court system. And I was trying to think like. It's weird to me how, like, these decisions are just flip-flopping between the various courts for Mm. seemingly obscure reasons. And I wonder, like, it's got to be the the judges and whatnot and their politics affecting this. It has to be. Like, what else could it be? Yeah, like, we don't have directly partisan positions, but that doesn't mean that those judges don't have sympathies of their own that are expressed in, like, how they do things and like the obvious case for that is kind of like every time indigenous stuff comes up in like the supreme court of canada and the supreme court's like oh well we're not going to overturn this because that would uh undermine the foundations of the canadian state so get fucked you know like it's all it's just a lot less overt in canada i guess yeah well at least it hasn't been as it, like made an issue like it has in the United States such that mm-hmm. it's a thing that like the American media structure like highlights like in Canada yeah. like our media doesn't do that and in part like our media it it was amazing to me to find that like there was almost no coverage of the, this appeal ruling uh for what happened to Pavlovsky and and that's always sort of like surprising to me not like not that he like matters all that much in the grand scheme of things but like he's somebody who's going around trying to like make a movement here it would be interesting if like our media cared at all about the fact that like he's he's seemingly getting away with this and like and also like follow-up reporting like i have no information about whether or not because this was at like the Alberta. uh appeals court like can you i i don't know if it can be appealed higher or or like to the alberta supreme court or something like i don't know uh and i don't know if the government of alberta would want to do that so it's like but there's no one really like covering it uh so i don't know yep that's canadian (laughs) mainstream media right like they don't actually cover a lot of stuff it is kind of like hyper specific reporting for the most part with a few rare exceptions well i was gonna say i should stipulate mainstream reporting it's possible that there's someone out there covering it and just like they're terrible in the search algorithms that like it was hard for me to to find them doing that reporting uh mm-hmm. so it's like possible like i obviously can't run in a, a complete exhaustive search but like 
I tried my best. And uh, yeah, it was like I saw the CBC do something and everyone else who covered it other than the CBC covered it favorable to Pavlovsky. Like it was all right wing people. And so I didn't trust any of those sources for obvious reasons. Uh, but and the CBC, like it was decent. But like I got more information just by clicking on the actual or finding the court of appeal ruling and their decision that they publish rather than going to the CBC because the CBC just tried to reword what like the decision was and like the decision itself was already confusing. <laughs> the CBC did not help clarify it for me. I think it's I think you got to just start writing these yourself, dude, like with yeah. how much research you do. <laughs> And they're just like, oh, nobody's talking about this. Like, <laughs> write it down. <laughs> just copy paste the appeal language and be like, this is what this is. And this is stupid. Yeah. Publish. I mean, it would be better. I, I mean, if I had millions of money, I would go and like sit during like the court hearings because like part of like, I feel like the decision isn't translating well because like I wasn't watching the, the hearings to get the full context. Because the mm -hmm. decision, well, I mean, I don't even know if you could have access to that kind of hearing anyways, but like the decision itself is just, seriously, I mean, most of it's like coherent except for like the one maneuver where they're like, here's where he gets away with being a criminal. <laughs> and I just like, I don't, I, it was, it was weird. It was weird. If a lawyer is listening and they have an explanation of why it made sense, you let me know. But I read it and was very, uh. As a non-lawyer, but someone who can read legal briefs, I was very confused. But anyways, so that's that was all of the 25th. And I, I don't have as much to add to that as I initially thought I might have. Other than, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's silly. He was obviously uh, going against the COVID restrictions and obviously refusing to wear a mask and being a menace during a health uh, crisis. So great so that gets us to the 26th because that took all day on the on the monday and on the tuesday ezra wants to talk about a liberal press release that is claiming uh, that the liberals will be targeting harmful disinformation and so of course if you're targeting harmful disinformation ezra is uh mad and doesn't like that they're doing that <laughs> mm -hmm. but he wants to begin by talking about what he perceives as, like, real online harms. Projects launched to help strengthen Canadians' resilience against harmful online disinformation. Now, that really is Orwellian, isn't it? I mean, I can tell you some real online harms. Scams that try to trick you into giving your passwords or giving your credit card information. There's a ton of those online, which tells me that they work. Identity theft, phishing, as it's called, when you're tricked into entering a password, pretty obvious online harm, being tracked and spied on by malware or spyware, sort of like the ArriveCan app, but by people even less trustworthy than Trudeau. Ransomware, have you heard of that? That's when your files are hacked and you have to send money, usually in the form of cryptocurrency, to pay the thieves to release your data. It's blackmail. Obviously targeting children, child porn. That's a horrific online harm. 
Uh, and then there's recruiting terrorists and promoting terrorist propaganda online using the internet. ISIS was pretty good at that. Their videos were terrifying and professional and very persuasive. They scared their enemies and recruited terrorist soldiers from around the world. Would you agree with me that all of those things are indeed genuine online harms? They're scams and crimes and illegal misconduct that use the internet and some of which are really tailor-made for the internet. Online harms, just like the words say. You know, with the scams and everything like that, I was like, okay, I guess this falls under disinformation. Yeah, because it's like, you know, misleading and malicious and blah, 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 blah. And then he got into like other stuff like the child exploitation and like the like what was that last one he mentioned terrorism yeah where it's just like i don't know if this is disinformation i don't know if this is what they're talking about and all of those things are already illegal like well i mean he's listing things here i mean We'll get to it in a second, because I think yeah. he will say that why isn't the liberal government going after these things? I think he's going to say that in the next clip, even though, as we're acknowledging here, the liberal government has targeted all these things. <laughs> in fact, I think it was uh, when we covered when he was complaining about the uh, the legislation that was combat combating online hate. Uh that legislation had specifically in it as well provisions against child uh, sexual exploitation images and as well as uh, uh, terrorist activity. And here's, but like all the other things, I actually don't think a lot of this fits like the, the harmful information thing. And I don't necessarily think he's making that point. I think he's trying to say that all these activities are all harmful and therefore can get, be gotten rid of. However, I... I think the terrorism stuff is, in some sense, quote unquote, disinformation that we control. Like, especially if it's like terrorist propaganda, which is just like, if you just talk about it as like them putting information out there that like happens to be false because they believe in stuff I disagree with in terms of like, uh, you know, in, in Ezra's mind, terrorist information is probably Islamic terrorism that he's thinking about. So you have people out there promoting a jihad against this, this or that, you know. And so, like, that's information that they're trying to propagandize. Now, Ezra just disagrees with that specific type of propagandization. And yet will probably be fully okay with, like, white nationalist terrorist organizations propagandizing on the internet. Mm -hmm. Right? But, like, those are the exact people, the, the white nationalist terrorists, that some of the new legislation that keeps coming out is starting to actually address. And that's when he's like, oh, no, now you're coming after disinformation. When before, when it was coming after other groups that you could describe as extreme, he was okay with that because they weren't, uh, you know, white. Or majority white, because obviously you can have white Muslim extremists as well. Thank you, Jody. Thank you for including. <laughs> Didn't mean you, but yeah. <laughs> White Muslims can do terrorism too, Jody. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of like a, a combating online disinformation. Why don't you combat other things online? And it's just like, 
multiple things can happen. Um, yeah. Did I tell you the one time about my coworker who got, like, the, like, scam call of, like, hey, your credit card's been hacked. Give us your password and we'll unhack it for you. No. And she came in on speakerphone talking to this dude and, like, starting to, like, gave her password again on speakerphone with him repeating it back to her <laughs> loudly in the store that i work in and like we had to like me and my other coworker like googled will they ask for your password and then like like waved her over and showed her that and by and she still finished the fucking phone call <laughs> and then um and then hung up and then tried to like log into her bank stuff and it was already hacked and it was like why <laughs> did you continue the phone call yeah wow uh, i mean like yeah ezra does have a point like these scams wouldn't exist if they didn't work uh that's the yeah. one accurate thing he said <laughs> no and like yeah. oh my god like as you know canada has an aging population etc cetera, etc cetera, and like as technology gets more complicated and old people get like more and more out of touch with how it functions these scams are just going to get worse because one, like, if the majority of the population is old and doesn't understand it, that's easy money, baby. And two, like, you know, what other opportunities do people have? It's kind of, it's easy money, baby. Like, these scams existed uh, since we're on it. Like, uh, my my grandfather who passed away recently, we found out uh, uh, before he passed away, but I think it was when we were putting him in a, a long-term care home when uh, things were getting really bad. This was like just before the pandemic. Found out that he was uh, giving money to a psychic for like lottery numbers. And like it was it, rather than like an online scam, like this was just through like mail letters. But like the way the fortune, quote unquote, fortune teller would do it was like they look like handwritten notes, but they were clearly like photocopies with like the names like copied in and stuff like this and it was just like he was old and didn't know better and thought this fortune teller was like talking directly to him you know and started giving them money so that it's it, these scams are always like always going to exist and they always plague on the the usually elderly and it's uh sad yeah and so you know yeah these things are bad and but again they already combat it <laughs> yeah and like <laughs> You know, there has been acknowledgement from the government that, like, these things are getting worse and, like, more frequent. And it's like, okay, they are putting measures in place for it. You know, it's very much a, like, wow, multiple forms on of online harm can be combated at once. What a, what a surprise. What a, yeah, just... So yeah, so I think he's going to go on the next clip here, which comes immediately after what we just listened to. I think he will sort of, like, try to say the liberal government is, like, not highlighting these harms, where I feel like resources are already dedicated here. The reason why they'll, they'll come out with a new policy is because they want to start directing it towards something new, such as some specific forms of disinformation uh, that is surfacing online. But now he's going to uh, talk about why targeting disinformation, as opposed to the harms we just went through, is specifically anti-democratic and therefore harmful. But that's not what Trudeau is focused on, none of those things. 
I mean, take a look at his press release again. He says he's targeting disinformation, disinformation, as in facts that are wrong <clears throat> or opinions that are unreasonable or things taken out of context, which isn't really internet specific, is it? I mean, if you want disinformation, pick up any newspaper, turn on any TV or radio station, read any magazine, listen to any conversation, because disinformation is just a modern way of saying, I disagree with you and your facts. You're wrong. To which historically the response was, well, I disagree with you. And I think you're the one who's wrong. And then you haggle it out. In fact, our entire modern democracy is set up that way. We call it checks and balances. We have an official opposition whose full-time job, by the way, is to oppose our election campaigns, our election debates. They're designed to have a clash of ideas. I say you're wrong. I say you're wrong. It includes facts and arguments and opinions. Our entire legal system, our entire court system is based on two opposing visions, prosecution and defense, plaintiff and defendant. Both are dead sure they're right and that the other side is wrong. Wrong at best, lying at worst. So why the sudden push to destroy the idea of two sides of an argument? To destroy one of those sides of the argument and saying it's disinformation and surprise, the side that is to be destroyed, the side that is being equated to a harm like terrorism or crime is the side that happens to disagree with Justin Trudeau. We're destroying dialectics, Jody. It's monolectics. There's one of everything now, not two of everything. Even like what it's, it's the official, the official opposition's real job is to oppose everything, and it's like no, it's not. It's like <laughs> that. Jody, when they are when there are two of something, they are in direct opposition. It's magnets. It's polar opposites. They cannot touch or interact. They can only fight. <laughs> True. Sorry, I uh, yeah. I was mistaken there for a second, but but yeah, I mean, but also like, I try to think about it, and, and this sort of like gets to what we were talking about with the other like sort of scams and how they can be involved information to a certain extent, which is like, mm. there are laws against fraud, right? Which would be a kind of disinformation, like a company is selling you a product, but they're lying to you about what is contained in the product or something like this, right? So they are like uh, participating in some kind of disinformation that we're okay with as a society to say it's illegal to participate in those kinds of acts of disinformation. And I think that applies as well to like, in his words, terrorist propaganda, I would think that it applies to all terrorist propaganda, including of the white nationalist variety, but like groups online that want to promote misinformation to promote hatred against other groups of people also, I think is like perfectly fine that you, you can sort of distinguish that from other types of more accurate information. And like, why can't we have laws on that? And especially if he's willing to see it in the other case for like, uh, you know, Muslim terrorists, as if that, like, yeah, of course, of course, we should block their propaganda, but it's just everyone else gets mm -hmm. to engage in the dialectic, right? <laughs> Jody, Jody, Jody. He said that they will only label as terrorists those who disagree with Trudeau. And as we know, all Muslims agree with Trudeau. So we're safe now. 
Yes. Oh, that's why Trudeau has acted on everything that the uh, National Council of uh, Muslims brought to him after the uh, uh, murder of the family in London, right? That's <laughs> Yes, and that's also why ISIS famously endorsed Trudeau for prime minister. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like it's it's wild how they like since the beginning of the show he's constantly trying to paint Trudeau as this like Muslim extremist and it's like no not like he's continued the Canadian foreign policy on that issue you know I still like if he doesn't step down before the next election I still think it would be like the funniest thing if he converted to Islam to get votes. <laughs> Our first Muslim prime minister is Justin, Justin Trudeau. Trudeau. Oh my god. That would be hilarious, actually. That's a real reconciliation. <laughs> <laughs> Abandoning the Catholic Church. Ezra then, like, hyper-focuses, right? So we get he his, like, meandering about, like, what he's thinking, like, philosophically about disinformation. But now he focuses on the press release itself, which happens to be about... Uh, disinformation regarding vaccines and uh, what's happening in Ukraine. So they're going to be fighting disinformation about COVID-19 and the Russia-Ukraine war. Now, there is disinformation about every controversial topic in the world. Why are those two topics the two that Trudeau is obsessed with? I think it has to do with money in part. There are hundreds of billions of dollars at stake, trillions actually, with COVID-9 schemes. And don't forget that Trudeau himself bought literally 400 million doses of the vaccine. Hundreds of billions of dollars have been spent on lockdowns and his subsidies. There's a lot riding on your obedience to the official narrative. And the war in Russia and Ukraine, well, that I'm a little bit more puzzled by. Of course, Trudeau has had lots of photo ops on the subject, even Ukraine itself. And Canada has pledged money and weapons, but nowhere near the size and scale of what the U.S. is doing. So, so much of Trudeau's Ukraine project has just been symbolic, I think. I mean, Canada is not really an important country for Russia economically. The, the United Kingdom, the U.S., Cyprus, Germany, those, those are important places in terms of Russia and its oligarchs. None of those oligarchs are stashing money or assets in Canada. And as soon as Trudeau's sanctions actually caught something valuable, the Russian natural gas pipeline turbines that were being repaired in Montreal, Trudeau immediately caved in and let Russia have them back, literally amending the sanctions. So I'm not quite sure why Trudeau is obsessing over controlling the messaging about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, other than perhaps that NATO itself is obsessed, so he's just doing what he's told on that. I mainly wanted to play this just because, like, it's he he has to turn like everything into a conspiracy theory. It's like Trudeau can't possibly think that the pandemic is real, and therefore wants to combat COVID misinformation because it may lead to people not getting vaccinated and therefore dying. No, it has to be because somehow Trudeau is making money off the vaccines <laughs> and then it's like oh it can't be that trudeau is 
a liberal and wants to defend the liberal Ukraine against aggression from Russia and also maybe make sales off of weapons. No, it's got to be NATO told him what to do and he's a puppet figure. Yeah, it can't be that Canada is invested in the Ukrainian national project because for the most part it is a Canadian project. (laughs) And you know... We're not, he talked about us sending them money. We're sending them loans, to be clear. They got to pay us back for that, you know? So yeah, you want your money back with interest. Even the gas turbine things. I think what that was, was it was Germany? Yeah, Germany was like, hey, I would, we would love to not freeze to death in the winter, actually. (laughs) Could we have that to get some natural gas? Yeah, and so it's like, there's an extent to which, like, yes, that sort of like, uh, contradicts the narrative with the sanctions because it allowed German to still get like Russian oil and gas products, but but like it didn't break the sanctions in the sense that we were giving it to Germany, not Russia. <laughs> I mean, no, it did. It did break the sanctions, but it's also just like wow. Sometimes real life is complicated, yeah. like. You know, yeah, we can pretend that we weren't the ones that broke it and Germany was the one that broke it because we gave them to Germany and Germany did the thing. But like, well, like you at know, the very least, it's like contradictory, if not legally against the sanctions or whatever. Uh, yeah. The, the point being is just like, it doesn't have to. Like, I even think, like, I said some things here that I don't necessarily believe in, which is like, I don't really know what's in like the heart of heart of Justin Trudeau. But like, part of me is like, why couldn't it be, okay, that, like, these liberal politicians care about this issue and that's why they're doing it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> just, like sure, I'm like, they're liberals, so they're probably, you know, making money off selling weapons or giving loans and stuff like that probably has something to do with it. But I'm like, there's also a part of it where it's like, there's definitely MPs out there that are probably just like, they really care about the issue, Regardless of what I think about the issue or not, you know? You're saying that Christia Freeland, (laughs) Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, and proud Ukrainian nationalist (laughs) might care about what happens in Ukraine? (laughs) Like, uh, but even, like, outside of the Ukrainian context with the vaccines, it's like, they have family members, they, they could get COVID, like, why couldn't they just care about COVID? It just has to always be some sort of sinister fucking plot. Yeah. And that's without even giving, like, liberals any credit to that. Like, you you know, because, like, I don't think their solutions to the problem are good. But it's like, I don't doubt that some of them, like, actually care that COVID is a thing and don't want people to die. Like, there's some of that out there. Yeah. But no, everything's a conspiracy theory. To end this uh, segment, I will say, like, Ezra then uh, goes on some rant about how great, like, being a contrarian is. So I <laughs> I did want to play this clip because, the, and, and I'll spoil it a bit here, which is like, this is like the go-to uh, crank move where it's like everyone who thinks that they know everything and are being, like, squashed by the establishment always compares themselves to Galileo. 
So, of course, like, that's who he brings up in this context, is that somehow, if we combat disinformation online, it'll be like we're squashing all those Galileos out there. I think it's good to have a common understanding with people, but I also think it's important to be able to dissent, to critique, to disagree, to say, no, I, I disagree with the mainstream way of thinking. Like I say, our whole system, our whole political system, our whole legal system, indeed, the scientific method itself depends on challenging and refuting things that were once the establishment consensus. Does the sun revolve around the earth? That was once a government and church approved fact. Is the earth flat? So is that. It was disinformation to claim otherwise. We need a reliable and credible source of information, not like that Galileo. When he published disinformation, he was prosecuted and convicted in an inquisition in 1633, and he was sentenced to house arrest for the rest of his life. You know, 1633 isn't that long ago. It was 150 years after Columbus found America. But you can be much more current than that. Are, are women persons? Should women have the right to vote? That's a controversy of about 100 years ago. Um, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but in Canada, status Indians under the Indian Act did not have the right to vote in elections until the 1960s. Like I say, those were accepted truths until then. Anyone who said otherwise was an unreliable, incredible troublemaker. It's disinformation to say that Indians can vote. It's disinformation to say that women should vote. That was standard establishment thinking until a few decades ago. So I kept that last bit in just because it makes absolutely no sense. Like, he's he's crossing what David Hume used to call the is-ought distinction. <laughs> Which is, like, questions about whether, uh, say, women should vote are normative questions and are debated in the realm of morality. It's... <laughs> They're not factual. I mean, saying women can vote is a factual statement. Yeah. <laughs> like that, those parts didn't really work for the Disinformation Act. And also just like, I hate when people bring up the like, oh, indi status indigenous people couldn't like vote and whatever. They couldn't vote because they, like, because they weren't a part of the Canadian state and they saw themselves as not a part of the Canadian state. The vote was imposed on them. Like, the vote was, like, something they didn't want in, you know, mixed mixed opinions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, like, you know, that, you know, Six Nations and their government and stuff like that fought actively against the imposition of the vote in the 30s because it was not seen as, like, you know, it was seen, seen as what it is. It's an assimilation tactic. Like, I, I hate that being brought up so much. But also, yeah, not disinformation. The weird stuff, though, with the, the Galileo piece, though, is like, we're, I mean, do you remember, did, like, because you just listened to it, but we were talking for a bit here. Do you remember any, like, religious terminology or any, like, religious names or any... Anything having to do with religion? Uh, he mentioned the there? Inquisition. And that was it. That was all he brought up. He didn't say who did this to Galileo. He didn't say... <laughs> right? Because we're going to get to it later on in the episode. 
But he's going to go on about like how great Christianity is and necessary for the Western world, etc., etc. But what kept Galileo down? What was it? And what was the solidarity movement? with the Catholics on that one? <laughs> what was the movement that moved away from the Catholic Church? It wasn't like a religious movement. It was the Enlightenment that like started moving away from this I, this established authority, which he was like, yeah, this good move where we're combating the establishment. What was the establishment, Ezra? The Catholic Church. Are there flat earthers who think that the flat earth still revolves around the sun? How? No. Unless they think that we're like disc world. No. It's a rectangle. No, if if it's flat, then it's like there's like a word. There's a sphere above us. And then like there's integral parts of the sphere or something. Usually that's how it plays out, I think. It's a flat rec- square on a wheel that spins <laughs> around the earth or the sun. I'll tell you, I, I study a lot of like wacky beliefs. Flat earth was one of those ones where I was just like, uh, no, thanks. <laughs> Not for me. I'll, I'll do them all. I'll do all the weird health claims, all the weird right wing beliefs, all that stuff. But like flat earth is just like people with way too much time on their hands trying to like pretend they're mathematicians by like creating new ways the world can be such that it makes sense in their minds and it's all nonsense and it's bob <laughs> that was the hip hop person who uh, came out yeah. Right? yeah yeah jesus like the photo from an airplane being like see i don't see a curve (laughs) every crank scientist out there who thinks that they're fighting the scientific establishment most of them are wrong they can't all be galileo okay galileo was in some sense one of a kind i think bruno wasn't that another scientist that was burned at the stake like there was a few scientists in that time period that had you know but like a lot of like scientists today they publish they advance knowledge and they're a part of the establishment. <laughs> Things have changed, okay? We don't have to keep going back to Galileo to make some sort of anti-establishment point. Now, the interview section, we don't have to go over. Uh, it's with Sheila, and they're talking about the Tamara Lich case and how she got let out as well. And we already already sort of like talked about that. And nothing else like worthwhile happened there. But uh, yeah, it's annoying. It's annoying this, that this keeps happening, but... Uh, I mean, because she clearly violated her bail. I don't don't care what some fucking judge says. She so clearly violated it. But anyways, she's she's back out. So what are you going to do? We're now on to the Wednesday show, July 27th. And David Menzies is the guest host. And his main focus is on city mayors wanting to restrict meat consumption. I don't know why this is his focus, but... Apparently, they're, they're the big cities in Canada, the mayors want to restrict our meat consumption. Which city is? I think he specify? said John Tory. So that's Toronto. And I think he said Vancouver and Winnipeg. I know for sure it was Vancouver and John Tory. All right, cool. I don't even know. It's not even worth getting into. But at some yeah. point, <laughs> Menzies, of course, has to bring up the issue that we're all concerned about, which is that the World Economic Forum wants us all to eat bugs. 
However, of course, because it's David Menzies, he does this in the most racist way possible. I don't think a single week has gone by this year without yours truly coming across yet another glowing article pertaining to humans eating insects. Here's a BBC feature from July 20th. It's entitled, Could Grasshoppers Really Replace Beef? But all you really need to know about the article appears in the subhead, quote, For most people in Europe and the U.S., the idea of eating crickets and grasshoppers can seem revolting, but they are a popular snack in parts of Africa and Asia. Not only are they packed with nutrients, but they are less harmful to the climate too. End quote. (laughs) I'm sorry, but the sad truth is this. Bugs are eaten in third world nations, not due to desire, but rather due to necessity. Are you trying to tell me that a Ugandan would take a mealworm sandwich over a cheeseburger if given the choice? Come on. I thought this was weird. Well, for one, his usage of the term third world to apply to Africa is, uh, you know, not great. But uh, also his him going to Uganda. And so I was like, okay, let's check it out. What are what do people eat in Uganda? And most of their food is, you know, beef, lamb, chicken, all the all the standards that we have in various different dishes. Uh that's most of what they eat. There is what they consider a delicacy, which is grasshoppers. It's under a different name in Uganda that I probably can't pronounce. But these grasshoppers, they're considered a delicacy because they only come after the wet season, which is like either in like April or November. And so then it's like a special meal because it only occurs at those times. So it's it's not the way Menzies describes it, where it's like you're so poor and destitute and all you're eating is grasshoppers. It's a treat during a specific time period. Like, it's just a, like, all you had to do was fucking use Google, David. Instead, you have to, like, uh, stereotype all of Africa as this terribly poor place where people eat bugs because they can't eat anything else. Yeah, I got nothing. It just stupid. Just um, racism. It's just fucking racism. Yeah. Like, it. it's very... I mean, I, I mean, it's often, often very explicit, but that was just like out, like direct <laughs> in your face. And you yep. know what? The, 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 to be honest, looked at the grasshopper meal, kind of looks tasty. Why not have some grasshoppers? Like, this is the other thing. It's all just cultural bullshit at the end of the day. We've talked about it so many times, but like, who cares? They're they're just like people eat bugs all over the place. Just why why do you care so much? Grow up. Back before the extinctions in North America, uh, there used to be like large um, like grasshopper and locust swarms that would follow the bison herds, and uh, guess what? They were eaten as well. You know, but ew gross icky yeah um i don't know and it is interesting to like with like uh, consumption of like locusts uh, in particular like you know they used to be both a delicacy if the swarms weren't too bad 
And then if the swarms are really bad, it's kind of like, okay, this is what there is to eat because they have eaten literally everything else that exists. But like nowadays due to like pollution and due to like the increase in pesticide use and like other stuff like that, you can't even eat them anymore. So, you know, despite them being like, you know, a kind of classic like dish and a classic like meal and good source of protein, et cetera, et cetera, it's now like not even possible to eat them in a like good and healthy way and not like get cancer or whatever else. And it's just kind of a, like, hmm, you know, environmental racism hits in so many different ways. Yeah. Because then it is just kind of, like, you know, their only options are to kind of, like, westernize their diets and industrialize their agriculture and everything like that to the point where, you know, you lose the more traditional forms of food knowledge and everything like that. And it's quite possible, like, obviously didn't do a deep dive into Ugandan history to know if, like, those dishes changed over time or, like, to what extent. Uh, uh, I mean, obviously, with the introduction of some of these things, it's probably due to some uh, uh, those products being introduced rather than being, like, uh, traditional. But then it's, like, it's also... There is no traditional. Like, tra- well, true. That's, yeah. But it, like, it, like the thing, Europeans have been eating potatoes for two hundred and fifty yeah. <laughs> years. Before that, they were po- they thought they were poisonous. Like, no, I, I know. And tomatoes come from South America, and yet we consider it to be like an Italian staple. <laughs> potatoes too. Peppers. Yeah. Think about like Asian and like East Asian food without hot peppers. Those are also only the past like three hundred years. Like amazingly food and its history is a global phenomenon and we share foods and ways of like producing them and so for once it isn't being imposed through like some sort of imperialist project it's being imposed it's being like brought in because it's like a hmm this is probably a better way to do this actually but god forbid you you can't do race racism and david gets gets real upset about that but even like the characterization of like the desperation leading to the eating of insects uganda produces more food than they consume as a nation Mm -hmm. so it's like the and of course that doesn't mean that there's no one starving in uganda like that has to do with other problems like capitalism exploitation uh also uh there's I think uh, Uganda has one of the highest uh, refugee populations as well. So it's like there's other impediments to the feeding of people in that country that have nothing to do with the production of food within the country, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because they produce enough to, that they could feed everyone if, uh, you know, other shitty things weren't happening in the world. Yep. But yeah, just uh, worth highlighting how, because like we've heard the the eat bugs thing, but it usually is just ew, cultural, yuck. But like this time, it was like it had that extra dose of racism, so I thought it was worth at least uh, pointing out that David Menzies still racist, still racist after all these years. I think his wife is from South Africa too, if I'm not mistaken. So, <laughs> so there you go. So. We get, the interview segment is another thing that we don't have to go over again because Janine Yunus is on, you know, the uh, retired leftist. 
and uh, she's some retired leftist working for some like civil uh, right wing libertarian organization that like defends people defying the COVID mandates. And she's on to also complain about disinformation. She now lists herself as a classical liberal. Oh my god! Twitter. So don't they all? <laughs> that is an update from uh, uh, politically homeless or whatever she called herself last time we talked about her. God, why do they always go to classical liberal? Why don't why just call yourself a conservative? Don't. <laughs> what is this fucking? They're like. I don't want to be too hated, so I'll, I'll call myself a classical liberal, which is just basically a conservative. Well, her um, at is still lefty lockdowns, so... <laughs> well, now she wants to lock down the lefties, right? <laughs> <laughs> she's so far she's so far left the left that now she's a fascist, so, you know. Hmm. So we get to the 28th, and there's nothing much to talk about on the Thursday show. David Menzies, again, was the guest host, and he wants to talk about Patrick Brown for the millionth time because, again, Patrick Brown arrested him once in an ice hockey rink, and he'll never let Patrick Brown go for that. And there was no new information brought to the table on that subject, so I don't care. And then he talks to Alexa Lavoie, their other correspondent, about the Pope coming to Canada and the apology tour, and we already went over it last week. Nothing new was really said, so... Again, so that was the 28th, and then we move on to the 29th, where things get a little weird, all right? Because we're going to be talking about vaccine stuff. First, well, vaccine stuff at first, and then we're going to get into, uh, you know, World Economic Forum conspiracy fun times. So in the first half... Ezra wants to talk about a lawsuit between hospital staff and the administration of a Chicago hospital who the uh, hospital staff are suing the administration because they were let go because they refused to get COVID vaccines. And they claimed that they had a religious exemption saying that the vaccines were developed with abortions. Now, the reason why we're talking about this is because the hospital ended up settling for $10 million and is rehiring the fired staff, as well as updating their vaccine requirements to allow for religious exemptions. And, of course, Ezra is all happy about this. This is now, you know, the tides are turning. We're beating the medical tyranny because this hospital settled a lawsuit with their staff. Now, the first thing, like, of course, Ezra is stressing really hard that these vaccines are made with abortions. Mm -hmm. And I want to say this is highly misleading. A lot of medication, not just vaccines, are tested with fetal stem cells that were produced in the 70s and 80s. And these immortal cell lines are often used to test components of drugs and vaccines before they're introduced into humans. And so... Mm -hmm. If you take these cell lines all the way back to when they were first uh, developed, yes, they were developed from a fetus which was aborted. Now, we don't know the history of that fetus, such as, like, was it a miscarriage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we have yeah. the, the fetal line still in existence today. There's tons of fetal health, uh, uh, cell lines that still exist. There's a really good uh, book about the... Uh, racial implications of this, which was the uh, 
Oh, I don't know if I remember the title. The Immortal Lives of Henrietta Lacks, I think. Henrietta Lacks, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, in her case, it wasn't like fetal, but it was like no. her. Yeah. But like, it's a similar idea where these, these cell lineages like keep propagating and then are used in like, so it's like, it's the same cells they've just replicated and are still used today, even though they're decades old, which is like fascinating that we can do this. Uh, but we have. But, like, a lot of uh, religious activists like to use that to say that, like, th they refuse to get vaccines because they have something to do with abortions. Uh, which is, like, only... I don't, I don't know if it's picking up the thunder, but we had to pause for a second because it's thundering quite loudly. <laughs> uh-huh. That was real We're talking, God's getting at us. We're talking about fetal stem cells. <laughs> God's like, no... But uh, but yes, a lot of religious people mad about the fact that these were used in the advancement. But you can also see like the benefit. If you want to test to see how certain medical components will react to human cells, it's best to do this on these immortal cells that can survive in a Petri dish than to just test them on people. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. But, uh, you know. The other thing is, like, I can't find out much information about why the hospital decided to settle. And we may never know. Like, I don't know if, like, they have an agreement where they're not going to talk about it. But Ezra seems to think that this is, like, a victory, right? Like, we six, we won. This shows that the hospital is, like, conceding things. But there's a part of me that is, like, especially in the American context and the way their Supreme Court has ruled recently... They've been ruling against a lot of separation cases in favor of religion. And mm -hmm. it's likely that this hospital could be like, we could pay them 10 million now, or we could look at like fighting them for over that amount to eventually go up to the Supreme Court and inevitably lose. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's not a good sign. <laughs> But I, again, I don't know. Maybe they did honestly agree with them, and so and now they've added a, an exemption for it and whatnot, and they actually care about this issue. But I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. If they're not talking, I, I can't really uh, report on it. But Ezra tries to bring it to the Canadian context, and he has an anecdote. He's got an anecdote about how this might apply to the Canadian context, so. You know, I had an anecdote that I was thinking about tweeting about when it happened, but I refrained because I didn't want to identify the person in question, but I was flying Air Canada the other day, and the lady at the gate, when I gave her my ID, she looked up at me and said, thank you, and I thought she was just saying thank you because I was giving her my ID, and I said, oh, thank you. She said, no, 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 I know who you are. And she talked briefly, we didn't talk long, about our, our stance on forced vaccines. And she said to me it was her first day back. I didn't talk to her in much depth. I, I, I was sort of startled by the whole thing. But if I understand her correctly, she, was, she has just been rehired. I think she said it was her first day back. She had just been rehired from Air Canada after having been sacked for not taking the jab. And I think Air Canada should have fought harder, but of course that was a federal rule. That was a Trudeau rule. And she's back at work, but after, imagine the pain and the financial and moral suffering she was through. I think we need class action lawsuits like the one I'm reading about. 
part of because part of that could be possibly true, maybe. Or like maybe she like likes Ezra and likes that he's fighting and that but she herself got vaccinated to keep her job. She was just on vacation and now it's her first day back. Like there's so many <laughs> so many things that could be going on here. God. It's her first day back, Vera. <laughs> I don't know. That she recognized Ezra is bad enough, I think. Like that alone is just kind of like, oh god, this is where we're headed, huh? I, I will add, because I've I've said this several times when the story comes up, there was way more people fired at the beginning of the pandemic because the airlines didn't want to pay for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ezra has not once talked about those people or the economic harms that they suffered during a pandemic while being let go. But it's always these poor people who decided not to get fans vaccinated during a global pandemic that we have to care the most about, not the people who are casualties of corporate greed. But yeah, anecdotes. That's uh, <laughs> let's wait. We can't wait for the uh, Canadian airline lawsuits. Great. But now to end the week, we get to the interview segment. Who's it's with uh, Lewis Brackpool. So it's everything was like in house this week, other than Janine Eunice. But Lewis Brackpool, he's been making these great reset conspiracy videos, and he's releasing his second. And so Ezra has him on to talk about the second video in the Great Reset series. And we watched the first one. It was not good. No, it sucked. Yeah. It was... like, he didn't say anything, and it didn't, like, imp- it just had sinister music and played boring clips. Like, that was it. I get the impression by listening to some of the clips they released in this episode that we're getting the same thing. But this time more Yuval Noah Harari. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Sapiens. Yeah. Now, of course, immediately, they're talking about the Great Reset, and Ezra just jumps right into it. We're going to talk about some Yuval Noah Harari. So, One of uh, Klaus Schwab's intellectual muses is a um, strange fellow, and I say that, I don't think I'm being mean, he's quite unusual. He has many very eccentric habits, he even looks in the very, he's a very unusual person, Yuval Noah Harari, who's sort of a, a futurist and a historian and a kind of philosopher, and I think he's having the time of his life with the pandemic and and COVID and, and this fourth industrial revolution, as Klaus Schwab calls it, and, and he said the quiet part out loud. He says that the big meaning of COVID was it, it stunned us, it shocked us into allowing total surveillance. And he keeps on talking about surveillance under the skin, which means our biological information. So we've already sort of talked about this before. It's the under the skin shit. Like he's gone on about this a lot. But I just wanted to frame this because like how they're going to play clips and talk about Yuval here. Because like notice how he frames Yuval, right? He's this strange, he's strange. And then he does that weird thing where he's like, I don't mean it in a mean way. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but he's strange. And he, like, got some sort of enjoyment or was having a good time during the pandemic because 
the things he wanted to come true are coming true. Or it's kind of like unclear, but like, why else would he be taking enjoyment about what's happening? I really loved the like. He's a he's a historian, but he's also a futurist and kind of a philosopher. And it's like, oh, so he's a writer. Yeah. So he writes books. That's you're saying that he like. He writes for a living. Okay, yeah. So he has opinions on things. Like, it's worth reminding people too. He appeared twice at World Economic Forum uh, meetings where he gave a talk. Yeah, and that, that and is, about books or <laughs> programs that he was doing related to his like boring book shit. But that's enough for Ezra to call him the muse of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. Is yes, these two and... uh, talks? obligatory reminder that Yuval Noah Harari is Jewish um and gay so that yes yeah and you know so one of them one of those aspects frames why he's apparently the mastermind behind everything and the other frames why he is quote-unquote weird or strange or whatever yep yep but uh we had a talk like uh when we first were bringing it up and you you thought Yuval was a bit more optimistic or, or more of an optimist than I, I've come to realize he isn't. He's more of like, I, I wouldn't say he's an optimist or a pessimist, but like most of his work does target how like these technologies can be used for bad. And I think the one part that I would disagree with him is the extent to which some of the things he thinks are like, technologically inevitable or i might also disagree with him about like how advanced our technology is in the way that he thinks it is but i do appreciate that he the one thing i like about his work is he's trying to wrestle with like if we do start like measuring people's biomedical stuff we should know about it and like figure like try to make sure that it's not going to go the bad way that i think that it might uh and so I'm going to play, this is the clip that Ezra plays on this show of of Yuval Harari talking about the biomedical stuff. But it's weird because this is the first time Ezra has played a clip of Yuval's, but like without like uh, it being from a conspiracy website. Or at least if it was, the conspiracy website put it in full context. And it's weird because... Again, they talked about it, how, like, Yuval wants these things to happen and enjoys these things, etc. And he's a strange dude. And yet, if you listen to this clip, it is very clear, at least to me, that Yuval is not promoting these things, but actually describes the potential or the overuse as dangerous. And when the crisis is over, it's not like we're going back to the place where we started. And it will be the same in so many different areas, in the economy, in, in, the, in the political system. So again, I can't predict which of all these experiments will succeed and uh, what the outcome will be. That's the danger. It could last long after this emergency uh, because there is always a new emergency on the horizon. New surveillance technologies that are now deployed just to deal with this coronavirus uh, outbreak, when it's over, some governments may say, yes, but there is a second wave of corona coming, so we have to be prepared. And there is Ebola, and there is also regular flu. Why not protect people against that too with this new surveillance system? 
So the tendency would be to prolong it uh, indefinitely. And in this way, the coronavirus epidemic could be a watershed event in the history of surveillance. It's the moment when mass systems of surveillance are established, even in democracies that so far rejected them. And also it's the moment when surveillance goes really under the skin, governments are now not, not just interested in where we go and who we meet, but even in what's happening inside our bodies, our body temperature, our blood pressure, our medical condition. So that's really going a step uh, further. So you can see, like, he's not, they played this full clip on the show, and I listened to that. I'm like, he's clearly not promoting this kind of surveillance. Yeah. It's a danger, and they're going to take it too far. <laughs> it's going to go further. Like, he's warning, if anything. But they interpret this as him promoting it. It's, like, so weird. And, like, why would you play this clip to your audience if you're going to talk about him as if he's promoting this stuff? I don't get it. Did they play it with sinister music at all? No, I just played, I took the clip right from their show. That's what they played to their audience. Yeah, no, it's just, I don't know. I just, I just gotta assume that the audience is racist enough that they'll hear a man with an accent speaking and be like, ah, he wants to do this to us. Yep. Yeah. So, after this this clip plays... This is how Lewis responds to it uh, about Harari. He's very fascinated with the idea of transhumanism, which uh, is a term not many people have have heard of, where it's the idea of uh, fusing man and machine, where he's openly said that he wants to hack hack organisms. Um, It's really quite sinister stuff, really. So we just hear this clip, and Lewis immediately pivots to, oh, he also wants to hack human beings and it's quite sinister, really. Now, they don't play any clips of the hacking human beings, but, like, I've watched several clips now of Yuval, and his position seems to be that human beings are, in principle, hackable, which I I think is quasi-true. It depends on what you mean. And also, like, to me, the, the sort of, like, how far out we are from that, we're pretty far out. <laughs> you know, it's not, this is more like a long-term concern rather than a near concern. Uh, except I think Yuval at some points talks about like algorithms are hacking our minds and stuff like this. And I don't know if it's useful describing that as hacking, but like, sure. But again, most of what Yuval is talking about is in terms of like how governments are going to inevitably have the capacity to do this to us, and there we sh- therefore we should be aware of the dangers. That yeah. is definitely not saying that you should, and it's not some sort of sinister plot by Yuval to hack us. You know, it's just amazing yeah. what they've done to this fucking guy. I wonder if he gets emails. He, oh, must. he must. Oh yeah. I. I was scrolling through his Twitter earlier, and it looks like he has, like, handed it off to, you know, some sort of, like, marketing team or whatever. And I bet it's because of, like, the ads and the replies and everything like that. So he just doesn't have to deal with it. 
in fairness, who can blame him? You know? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so the weird thing is, I think Lewis even comes around because like Ezra starts talking to him about this too. And I think Lewis is realizing he needs to address some of the facts of like, everything he says seems to be, or everything that Yaval says seems to be more like factual and then like, uh, rather than him saying that this is the world that he thinks should happen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he kind of addresses that in a very weird way, a very uh, weird way. People say, well, how do you not know that they're, they're looking through it in a perspective that could be good for people? Well, uh, I challenge people to say, well, if you think about it, a cat doesn't know it meows. You know, a cow doesn't know it moves. And sometimes some people don't know that they are being evil. And that's kind of my perspective from from going on this deep dive uh, about the world economic forum it's anti-human is what it is it's very anti-human and it's almost you're treated or you're turned into a commodity for their own science as they call it here's what i don't get he had just finished calling yaval sinister and then, like, some time goes on and Ezra and him have a back and forth. But then he comes to it like, okay, so they're not sinister in the way that we think of it. It's more like, I mean, he says, like, a cat doesn't really know that it's meowing. I don't know what the fuck that means. But I guess what he's saying is they're, like, automatons or whatever. So they're, they're like, benignly evil. Like, the World Economic Forum thinks they're doing good, but really they're doing evil or whatever. But then that's not being sinister. That, like... Understand any of this? Yeah, I mean that, and then just being like, "Oh," and they just kind of like become a commodity for their own, you know, marketing whatever bullshit. And it's like, you guys are capitalists. Yeah, that's what that's what you all guys are doing as well. Like, I can't, I don't even like I just ignored the commodity thing because it was just like commodity for your science. Like, what what are you talking about? You're just like, these are words that make me sound like I know what I'm talking about, but do I really? Yeah. <laughs> it's just such, it's such nonsense, and it's all on this guy, this poor fucking, I, I feel, well, like, part of me doesn't feel bad for him, like, he's got enough money, he could survive, he's, he's doing great for himself, you've all over there. He was speaking at the World Economic Forum, so it's, <laughs> it's just like, They could have chosen anyone who's attended any World Economic Forum event anywhere, but they just fucking chose this guy. He didn't ask for this. I hate that British dude's accent. It sucks to listen to. It does. And again, I've I've referred to Lewis as the discount Paul Joseph Watson. I think, like, the difference, too, is, like, he... He has the same accent as Paul Joseph Watson, except Paul Joseph Watson is more like aggressive sounding and in your face where this is more a laid back, lazy version. All all of this comes through and then Ezra wants to speculate about like why they're doing this, right? Because we get into the notion of they're just this like automaton thing. But then Ezra sort of like rejects that and says it's really that they want to become gods. They're all playing God. They're just like these weird, creepy establishment dudes who all want to play God. And so he goes on this weird sort of like philosophical journey that we're going to listen to. 
when when you seek to replace every source of morality and every when you seek to replace all religion and say all religion is folly when you seek to control people um you don't even know what you're going to cause and you don't have to be religious I, I think of what churchill used to say churchill says churchill would say i'm not a pillar of the church i'm a buttress of the church i support it but from the outside and that sounds funny but here's what he what he meant he meant that i don't have to go to church every sunday i don't have to be a deep faithful believer to understand that the church is good and that it is good for people and that it helps under it's the foundation upon which our, our civil society operates there's a reason why the christian west treated minorities better than in other parts why they were open to reason and science more than in other parts why the the, the kind of legal system we have uh, the human the humanity that we have is the way it is if you've ever watched that movie by mel gibson called apocalypto to show you life in the Aztecs before Columbus came, where they mm. sacrificed people by the thousand on those and blood going down the pyramids. Maybe we need a reminder of what the world is like if it doesn't have a biblical Christian morality. It can be that, but when you replace it with what Klaus Schwab says, what an oligarch says, what a computer algorithm says, what Mark Zuckerberg says, and when you say there is no religion, religion is just bad uh, programming from centuries ago, you have no idea what you're messing with. You're messing with a deep ingrained structure of the West. And if you pull that foundation out, we don't even yet know the chaos that will come. Has he converted to Christianity yet? Like he did not mention Judeo-Christian. He did not mention like you know, his own faith. He did not mention anything but Christianity and the church. It reminds me of, like, there's, like, these... Some people who, like, describe themselves as, like, secular Christians in that they don't believe in the religion, but they believe that, like, Christianity had some sort of, like, necessary role in the creation of, like, Western civilization. Uh... It, like that's like more what this like sort of like strikes me as rather than like it's almost like it I, and it feeds into a lot of like Jordan Peterson shit because even Jordan Peterson's religion like he is Christian but he's what some people describe as like pragmatically Christian like he gets all weirdly philosophical about the nature of Jesus and whether Jesus actually exists or not and it's more it's just like the metaphors are sort of true and <laughs> Uh, and like even like his analogy at the end here, like to destroy it will become chaos, is like the Jordan Peterson line. Like there, there's just some semblance yeah. of like the, the, our our West, and like he even like the way he describes the kind of like civilization process of like how you know these indigenous quote unquote like uh, like their term savages when needed to be Mel like, Gibson yeah. time traveled back to Aztec times with a camera. And brought back the movie Apocalypto. <laughs> like, what? Do you think that that movie was reality or, like, a document? Like, what? Why is that your go-to example? You know? Like... Because he watches the movies of an anti-Semite. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like, so... 
And it's just because that that anti-Semite appeals to the religious conservatives that he's appealing to right now. Uh, Yeah. But even like just what that story is supposed to represent is how like, you know, we need to tame the indigenous people. We needed Christianity Mm -hmm. in the West to come in because they were savages before this. And then and 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 like to describe like at the beginning there, he was talking about how like we're we're the ones who are the the correct and just such a nice human people that were so nice and kind and were good to more minorities than other people which is why we had to like do these things to the indigenous people like yeah yeah <laughs> and famously you know no expulsions when christians came to a place no you know no mass expulsions of jews no like persecutions of religious minorities or you know, ethnic minorities, or in some cases, ethnic majorities, or um, much of the world, or, hmm, you know, just like, such a completely disconnected from reality and like history type thing. If you went back to the 1500s and were like, ah, yeah, Christianity is so good to minorities, they would fucking burn you at the stake. Like... (laughs) They'd be like, no, actually, you must be a secret Jew. Like, But he even said, like, Christianity was good for reason and science. But during this week, did yeah. he not have the like one most representative example of when the Catholic Church decided that it wasn't for reason and science? And was, like, inquisitioning people for being factually true. <laughs> You know, inquisitioning people for the the reason and blah, 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 science, whatever. You know, with an inquisition founded to persecute minorities. Yes. <laughs> like. It's like, yeah, it is. It's fucking. It's amazing how, like, he's like how it starts. We're so nice. We're so kind. We're the reason all these things exist. And then as he goes on, he's explaining all the terrible shit they do in a way of, like, not actually addressing it. Like. It's just like, it's it's amazing the sort of narratives that they've weaved on the right, and that that people walk around with these just inherent contradictions, mm-hmm. and just no no sense of self awareness or any sense of like internal thought process of like self critical analysis. <laughs> just of course we're the greatest we've always been the greatest we're the nicest to minorities and that's why we had to kill them all we just we were so nice they had to die it's also very like yeah end of history type shit where it's like yeah of course you know you can't remove that foundation because then something bad will happen to western civilization which must stand eternal like you know it is it is that sort of like, oh, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine, you know, the end of capitalism, the end of the West, the end of Christianity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, and even just like a new or a different Christianity, a new or a different West, like a teensy tiny, teensy little reform on capitalism. Like, no, it's got to be the end of the world before that. I mean, because the the greatest evil is Trudeau. 
Yeah. And he's the moderate moder- forum. <laughs> and the World Economic Forum. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it's got economic right in the fucking name. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's wild to live in their heads. I, I uh, yeah. The only the only thing we could say for sure, one hundred percent, they're not uh, jerking off conspiracy theorists. We're not no? beating off the uh, the the conspiracy theorists. <laughs> delayed on clicking oh. the buddy but yeah he said that i let's let's play it again such a great we're not beating off the uh the the conspiracy theorist <laughs> we are <laughs> what? the thing is i obviously clipped this out of context but it, i think the context the, the thing is the context was hard i couldn't quite figure it out but i feel like what lewis was saying was like you know my movie is all about facts and logic you know we're not just beating off the cons- <laughs> the conspiracy theorists but uh but yeah that's great but it, but it, he said it less coherent than i just did but uh, i i mm. did love that uh that he said that so thank thank you discount paul joseph watson I appreciate it. The and- real question is, why aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if it gets them to stop. <laughs> you know, it's it's the finding incels girlfriends argument, right? Like, uh, you just beat off some conspiracy theorists and the post-not clarity washes over them and they're just like, oh... Actually, <laughs> that's that's what's like preventing us from succeeding. Yeah, the lack of post nut clarity. Well, a post nut clarity world economic Okay, time to talk about some depressing <laughs> shit going on in our city. Um, two links uh, today. Um, one is to uh, the link tree to the Forgotten 519, uh, which is a collective uh, primarily based around um, frontline workers and support workers for uh, homeless people in our city. Um, that is... Um, that one member of is currently engaged in a hunger strike uh, outside of City Hall until um, the basic demands for increased supports um, and a rapidly, like, a more quickly realized housing plan and um, more, like, supports to get people off the streets uh, is realized in our city. Um, They have a petition uh, that's attached to their link tree that... um, everybody should definitely sign um and you know if you're in london show up to city hall voice your support uh they've been doing um there's a i think open mic night tomorrow night um you can always just like stop by the tents that they have set up there too uh, and you know voice your solidarity um 
Yeah. I was there uh I was there Tuesday at uh this past Tuesday at like nine in the morning, which was like to kick off the, the hunger strike and uh it was a pretty good turnout for Tuesday at nine in the morning, I have to say. There was like over a yeah. hundred people there, so Yeah, and like you know, I've stopped by uh both evenings since, uh after work, uh just to like, you know, say hi, talk a little bit and just, you know, yeah, voice support, see if there's anything that I can do to help, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, yeah, like it's, I don't know, it does feel like a very, like, real and, like, focused moment for the city in a way that is, like, kind of mobilizing people in a way that I haven't seen in a long time. Um, and it's very nice to see. It's very, like, I don't know, it is, like, a brief moment of hope type of situation, um, but, um, he does intend to continue the hunger strike until, um, like they have a, a backup plan for like setting up an IV and whatever, like, you know, it is currently, there is no definite end on when, uh, the hunger strike will be over if the demands are not met. Um, there's another meeting at city hall, uh, for us tomorrow on Thursday, August 4th. Um, because we're recording Wednesday, August 3rd. Um, and, you know, hopefully something good comes out of that. But regardless, more petitions, more like talking about it on social media always helps something. Uh, because really the big thing that city council and city hall fears is just like any amount of negative attention going towards them. Um, and they're not they're very much not used to receiving like any sort of pushback for all of the horrible shit that they do or all of the st- stuff that they just refuse to help with. Um, another thing uh, that I'm going to share um, if, on the off chance that uh, people have spare funds uh, is uh, queerevents.ca, uh, which is uh, primarily based in, again, in our city, London, Ontario, um, operates a food for queers, uh, service uh where they put together grocery kits for people and are currently feeding around 100 people in our city and as i think we've talked about before um shit's rough in our city uh the food banks are overwhelmed and uh often if they needed if queer events needed uh assistance with uh putting together the grocery kits every month um or every week i honestly can't remember how often they do it um they would be able to reach out to the food bank in town for assistance. And that is seeming less and less likely to be possible considering that the food bank itself is struggling to keep its own area stocked and like the people that it supports fed. Um, So the best way to help is funds because that way they can do mass purchasing and everything like that. Um, so I will also include the link to that um, if people have spare money. Because, yeah, again, it's one of those, we only get through this shit by helping one another. And, uh, you know, yeah, a lot, lot of people need help, I guess. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are groups and people that are, that are, actively helping and if we can do anything to support those 
initiatives, then might as well, right? Um, yeah, that's that's my stuff this week. Um, a very big shift to depressing stuff, considering. <laughs> well, I mean, it's always depressing. This... <laughs> I think it's more yeah, just yeah. like uh, yeah, yeah, a bit like more immediately impressing rather than the the long march of fascism. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, do do support those causes. I mean, and even like uh, I'm sure outside of the London context, like uh, given that our problems, uh, I mean, the, some of them have always existed, but are exacerbated due to like the fallout of everything happened over the past few years with the, the pandemic. And so I'm sure there's probably a local issues as well. And the one thing is a lot of these places just need funds. So, uh, you know, rather than, you know, I think a lot of people are well-meaning in terms of giving the canned goods and whatnot. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you could just funnel them funds, uh, that'll also uh, go a long way. So, so yeah. Check check it out in, in your local situation, but if you feel oh so kind, ours is uh, particularly in a bad spot right now. So, yeah. Now, uh, you, you know, after all this, uh, you don't have to donate to us, but uh, you know, thank you to everyone who does support us already over at Patreon.com/slash/ImperialNews. And uh, yeah, if you're done donating to everything else and have a few bucks left over, uh, that would be kind, very kind of you. And uh, if you want to stay informed of what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News of the Z. We have a Discord set up. We do, uh, or we did Twitch streams. I'll be bringing them back at some point. I'll let you know. And uh, we have videos on the YouTube, etc. And you can find all the links to those in our show notes. And you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And Galileo. We're canceling you, okay? And it's going to be even worse <laughs> than your previous cancellation. This time you're going to be... Uh, I, I don't know what's worse than excommunication and house arrest, you know? Um, I mean, burnt at the stake is kind of the easy one. We're going to defenestrate you. Yep, we're going to toss you out a window. That's the... That's the worst we can come up with. Good De- luck, Galileo. <laughs> Defenestrate See- you into a pit of snakes. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> Newton's gonna discover gravity in a new way, and it's when we throw you out a window. <laughs> On to Newton. <laughs> yeah. Two birds of your both cancel. <laughs> Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.